Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Thursday, the 19th of August, 2021. The Glasgow Times Lifestyle Section. Glasgow sitcom Ouija's hits Amazon Prime Video. A new Glasgow-based sitcom hits the small screen with its Amazon Prime Video debut. Ouija's follows the story of Steve and George, two heartless, inspiring actors trying to make their names while living in Glasgow. Writing pair Stephen Arthur and Matthew Joseph Campbell scripted the series. Stephen, a graduate from the Glasgow School of Art, approached Matthew, who studied acting at New Lancashire College, to help him turn the idea into reality. The idea has been long in the works. Stephen had initially worked on the project with George Charles Stewart, a childhood friend and actor, and Graham Watt to produce a pilot episode which premiered at the O2 AVC in 2014. After a brief hiatus, Stephen approached Matthew about collaborating on writing a full-length series of Ouija's. The two set about writing five 25-minute episodes, with Matthew playing the role of Paul. Matthew said, I'm incredibly proud of what we've created here. Watching characters that I was involved in creating and writing come alive in front of my eyes, on set and on screen, really is a special feeling. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 19th of August 2021, from the Opinion section, Labour View, Eva Murray, Council Leader is out of touch with Glaswegians. Recently, we have seen the SNP Leader of the City Council, Susan Aitken, display just how out of touch she and her administration really are with Glaswegians. Every time an interview is released or comment is given from Councillor Aitken, it just seems to cement even further how ignorant the SNP and the City are to the challenges Glasgow faces. In a Herald interview, readers saw Council Aitken com- completely undermine the role and power of local government to effectively change people's lives. It was pitched as ending paternalism, but in reality, when you look at the detail, it seemed more like passing of the buck. Masked as community empowerment, but it would be in name only, as local people are faced with taking on assets or facilities, with the only other option being that if they don't, they may disappear completely. I've seen how real community empowerment can work. I've mentioned previously of the successes of Nightwood's community centre in my ward, which was transferred to community ownership by the previous Labour administration. Asset transfer can work even when there is support from councillors and organisations at the ground level willing to work to make it a reality, but these latest initiatives couldn't be further from that. This time around, communities are facing ultimatums with venues across the city still not having to reopen dates and local people being asked to register an interest to run it themselves. Communities less asking, 
Who is this really empowering? And at the end of last week, like many fellow Glaswegians, I was horrified by the language used by Councillor Aitken when talking about constituents, trade unionists, cleansing workers and some of my fellow elected members who are rightfully raising concerns about the ongoing waste crisis the city continues to face. Comparing those who are begging the SNP administration to invest and fight for a fair deal for our city so we can clean it up to far-right fascists who have terrorised communities across Glasgow and who have come together to stand against. Susan Aitken should be ashamed. And, despite the SNP administration's unwillingness to accept the ongoing issues with which Glasgow faces when it comes to cleansing, that waste crisis does continue and instead of listening to the workers who are telling us their job is getting tougher, who are crying out for more investment, and who have highlighted that the morale of the workforce is at rock bottom, Susan Aitken instead prioritises attacking politicians and trade unions who are making the effort to speak out, speak with those on the ground feeling the full impact of the devastating cuts across our city. These are the lengths Councillor Aitken and her administration are willing to go to to avoid standing up for our city. Pathetic distractions and an unwillingness to listen because they believe Glasgow is getting a fair deal and they are doing a good job. There's no doubt Glasgow deserves better, but with as long as Susan Aitken remains in charge, we will never get it. In that article with the Labour View by Eva Murray. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of August 2021, from the news section. Admin assistant who embezzled £500,000 from the City of Glasgow College, jailed. By Emma Lawson, court reporter. A crook college worker who blew £500,000 on IT equipment to sell on has been jailed for 27 months. Afsha Rana doctored paperwork to get her hands on 334 electronic devices, many of which she sold at the pawnbrokers in Glasgow. Rana was even caught on CCTV at the City of Glasgow College, leaving with some of the loot in her suitcase. The 34-year-old was sentenced to having sentenced having earlier pleaded guilty to an embezzlement charge. Sheriff Tony Kelly told her, "You were in a position of trust, and you took 334 computing devices from the college and sold others for your own personal profit." Rana was employed as an admin assistant in the college's IT department. The scan ran between March 2015 and April 2019. Prosecutor Alistair Knox told Glasgow Sheriff Court, Rana acted in a deliberate manner to defraud her employer by ordering IT equipment. She took possession of, th- possession of 334 computing devices, which cannot be accounted for. The total value of equipment which is unaccounted for is £500,000. The fiscal added 176 of the devices were sold at a cash converters branch in Glasgow, with Rana receiving £255,200 in payment. Remaining items were sold elsewhere. Rana was snared during a college probe. Staff at the pawnbrokers were also quizzed, and they stated Rana claimed that IT equipment had come from a relative in Dubai who refurbished them. Mr Knox added, There is CCTV footage of Rana leaving on work days with a large suitcase which would be unusual for a normal day at work. There is an additional CCTV footage 
of Rana leaving the college in possession of a bag containing Apple products. The court heard Rana had deposited more than £83,000 into her bank account during the crime. Rana has since been sacked by the college. Her lawyer told the previous hearing she had squandered all the money and that there was a man in London she did not, did not want relatives to know about. John Kilcoyne, defending today, said she is extremely embarrassed by her conduct and her family was unaware of how big a matter this case was. And that piece was by Emma Lawson. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of August 2021, News Glasgow driver fled police in high-speed chase through Govan Hill. By catching on a Stewart, columnist Andrew Porter. A vehicle flew through the air along a pavement going the wrong way on a one-way street during a rush hour car chase. Cops were forced to kill off the pursuit as they feared someone might be killed. A sheriff slammed Matthew Thompson for some of the worst driving he had ever come across as Glasgow Sheriff Court heard the details of the prolonged pursuit across the south side. The 23-year-old's defence brief said he had panicked when police spotted him behind the wheel despite being disqualified. Thompson had his knuckles wrapped on May 16th, 2020 for driving while banned on Muirhead Road so when he was seen again on April 27th this year he chose to flee. Deputy Fiscal Cow DL told the court officer saw Thompson on Glasgow Road around 5pm. Knowing he was barred from driving, they called for a backup marked car to help pull him over. Instead of stopping, Thompson, from Royston, accelerated up onto the footpath heading north at 50mph. He then turned left onto the Clyde Gateway, which was heavy with rush hour traffic. Despite the lights being red, he went onto the opposing carriageway and drove for 500 metres into oncoming traffic at speed, causing another vehicle to take evasive action. He then drove through the no entry signs to a Caledonia Avenue before turning into a traffic control road with a blind junction and failing to observe the red light. Officers were still in pursuit and followed Thompson onto Cathcart Road where he failed to stop for another red light and then failed to stop for another two red lights where pedestrians were waiting to cross. He then drove the wrong way onto Govan Hill's Calder Street, which is one way. On Calder Street, Thompson saw another police car coming towards him, so mounted the pavement and drove at a speed for, at speed for 300 metres. Mr DL said, While on the footpath, the office, police officers observed all four tyres off the surface of the ground. The accused returned to the road at speed, and went through a further red light where pedestrians were waiting to cross the road. Police then thought someone could be injured or killed, so the pursuit was stopped for the safety of the public. The accused was last seen going through another red light and heading into the direction of the city centre. The vehicle, which had been reported stolen, was found abandoned in Portland Street with a burst tyre. Police then traced Thompson and made arrangements for him to hand himself in, but he failed to show up. His defence brief said, said hearing the details of the car chase would have made his client embarrassed. The lawyer said he will have been embarrassed to have listened to that narrative. His driving was out of order. Knowing he was disqualified, he tried to get away from the police. 
There is no mitigation. He accepts responsibility that he stupidly drove when he ought to not have driven. Sheriff Alan Mackay said, The offences are more serious than I had imagined. These roads are roads that I know that are local to here. At 5pm I understand how busy it would have been. Your conduct was concentrated and carried out over a period of time. I can understand panic that stops rational thought, but this went on for some time. This was some of the worst driving I've ever heard of. Thompson was given a sentence of 162 days in jail for stealing the car, 54 days for driving while disqualified, and 270 days for dangerous driving to run concurrently, and was disqualified from driving for 36 months. And that report was by Catriona Stewart. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of August 2021, from the news section, Glasgow McVitie's Toll Cross staff enraged over redundancy offer. Report by Hamish Morrison. McVitie's workers were left enraged over redundancy offers, which union bosses claimed ignored decades of service from loyal staff. The East End factory is set to close in spite of fierce opposition from employees, local politicians and trade unions. Nearly 500 jobs will be lost if the biscuit giant follows through on its plans to move production to England. Unions are in talks with bosses at Pladis, the Turkish firm which owns McVitie's, but not back their first offer, according to the Daily Record. Pat McElvogue, United Industrial Officer, told the paper, We can confirm that McVitie's, while continuing the process of redundancy, have offered an unacceptable redundancy package if this situation comes to fruition. The company in our discussion so far has offered two weeks pay for each year of service, up to and including the age of 40, and for those aged 41 and over, three weeks pay. There is also a proposed cap for all employees younger than 50 at the point of redundancy, where there is a proposed cap which will be equivalent to 12 months salary. For those aged 50 or older, the proposed cap will be set at 18 months salary. This means decades of service will not be taken into consideration, which is completely unacceptable and has enraged the workforce. However, we need to stress that the Action Group continues to engage with the employer and, on Tuesday evening, we discussed the counter-proposal with the Cabinet Secretary, Kate Forbes. There are a number of issues which need clarifying between all parties and we are working on that to ensure that we leave no stone unturned in keeping hundreds of workers in a job at McVitie's. A Pladis spokesperson said, The formal consultation process is ongoing and no final decisions have been made. We will continue to engage with our employees and the representatives on a weekly basis and remain committed to a meaningful consultation with them. And that article is by Hamish Morrison. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 20th of August 2021, from the news section, Glasgow thief stole Just Eat Rider's bike and phone in Rigby Street. This report is an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. A callous thief stole a Just Eat Rider's electric bike and mobile phone in the East End. The robber struck in Carantine's Rigby Street last night and took the key worker's kit which is essential for his job. A local man who spotted the robbery taking place gave chase to the crook in his car, 
but was unable to catch him, the Glasgow Times understands. It's thought the bike, which had the phone attached, is worth around £2,000. Police are on the hunt for the criminal. A spokeswoman for the force said, At around 9.35pm on Thursday, August the 19th, police received a report of the theft of an electric bike from Rigby Street, Glasgow. Inquiries are ongoing to establish the, f- the full circumstances. And that report was an exclusive by Hamish Morrison. This article is from The National, date 20th August 2021, from the Culture section. Looking back over 60 years since building of the Berlin Wall, by Martin Hannan. What's the story? It was in this month, in 1961, that the Berlin Wall was erected, splitting the city of Berlin in two. Today is the 60th anniversary of the completion of the first section of Brick Wall, which proved that East Germany, the German Democratic Republic, was intent on making the wall permanent. August 20th, 1961, also saw the start of the East German army shooting at people trying to escape to West Berlin. They missed, but soon piled up the bodies. The weekend before, the GDR leadership, under Walter Ulbricht, had authorised the building of a barrier between East and West Berlin. The first such barrier was a miles-long length of barbed wire, but the intention was always to make a permanent barrier, a wall. The first section of Breeze Block was just five feet high, but within days the East German military had begun bringing in much larger concrete sections which construction workers erected at considerable speed. Houses along the line of the wall were bricked up to stop residents dropping from windows into West Berlin, and armed patrols largely stopped mass defections. It is hard to convey what a shocking event the erection of the wall was. It was a huge challenge to the Western Allies, and all West Germany was incensed. East Germans rushed to try and escape, but only a relative few made it into West Berlin. The Cold War almost became very hot. What was the background to it going up? After the end of the Second World War, Berlin was divided into four sectors, each of them controlled by one of the victorious allies, with the Soviet Union having the largest sector that was basically the eastern half of the city. The Soviets wanted more control, however, and blockaded routes into the city, which led to the Berlin airlift that kept the city fed and supplied from June 1948 to May 1949. As the Cold War developed, East Germany, the GDR, and West Germany, the Federal Republic of Germany, came into being in 1949, both claiming Greater Berlin as the capital. The GDR was a socialist communist state puppet of the USSR. West Germany was liberal and democratic, backed by the USA in particular. Defections by East Germans to West Germany were a daily occurrence, and eventually some three million people fled the oppressive regime. Berlin was the main conduit for defections, as it was relatively easy to pass 
from one side to the other. Ulbricht complained that the defections were bleeding East Germany of its best brains, and Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev sanctioned the building of the wall. In June 1961, at a summit in Vienna, Khrushchev threatened to cut off access to West Berlin, and President John F. Kennedy was unsettled by his tone. On July 25th, JFK went on television to tell the American people, so long as the communists insist they are preparing to end by themselves unilaterally our rights in West Berlin and our commitments to its people, we must be prepared to defend those rights and those commitments. We will at times be ready to talk if talk will help but we must also be ready to resist with force if force is used upon us. Either alone would fail. Together they can serve the cause of freedom and peace. Everyone knew the subtext of what Kennedy was saying. Stop access to West Berlin and it would be a shooting war. The world waited to see what would happen. But instead, the wall was built. What? did the West do? At first, nothing, except make the usual protests by diplomatic channels. JFK sent Vice President Lyndon Johnson to show solidarity with the West Germans, notably then-Chancellor Konrad Adenauer and West Berlin Mayor and future Chancellor Willy Brandt. Protests piled in from various governments, but Ulbricht maintained a rigid stance of refusing to negotiate. Khrushchev gambled that the Western powers, especially the USA, would not want to start a war over Berlin, and he was right. It made him bold enough to start the Cuban Missile Crisis the following year, but that time Kennedy and the USA did stand up to him. Kennedy himself went to Berlin two years later and gave his Ich bin ein Berliner speech. What happened after the initial events? According to the official history of Berlin, as recorded on the mayor's website, in the years to come, the barriers were modified, reinforced and further expanded, and the system of controls at the border were perfected. The wall running through the city centre, which separated East and West Berlin from one another, was 43.1 kilometres long. The border fortifications separating West Berlin from the rest of GDR were 111.9 kilometres long. More than 100,000 citizens of the GDR tried to escape across the inner German border or the Berlin Wall between 1961 and 1988. More than 600 of them were shot and killed by GDR border guards or died in other ways during their escape attempt. At least 140, some say many more, died at the Berlin Wall alone between 1961 and 1989. When did it collapse? The communist system was unable to sustain the Eastern Bloc countries and protests went from country to country against Soviet domination and misrule by their own corrupt authorities. In a bid to keep East Germans under control, GDR leader Erich Honecker allowed the populace the chance to go on holiday to 
Hungary and Czechoslovakia. But that only made the people more desperate for freedom. On November 9th, 1989, the East German government allowed free movement between East and West Berlin. The people promptly tore down the wall, the pivotal moment of the collapse of the communist Eastern Bloc. That article was by Martin Hannan. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 20th August 2021, from the sports section. Nikki A.S.H. on SummerSlam 2021 by Mark Henry. She is a pint-sized Glaswegian in a land of giants. But Nikki Glencross hopes to walk into this weekend's SummerSlam pay-per-view as WWE R.A.W. Women's Champion and walk out with the title still around her waist. Competing as Nikki A.S.H., almost a superhero, the Scot won the big one at last month's Money in the Bank PPV, which is considered the best show of the year so far. She then won the title the following evening on Monday Night R.A.W. and has not had time to look back. Not that she would. Glenn Cross, 32, is only focused on what's next as she continues to gain momentum in a company known for its loud personalities and humongous muscle-bound superstars. I'm not sure it's sunk in yet. I feel on cloud nine and I'm over the moon, she told the Glasgow Times. But at the same time, I'm ready for this responsibility to represent the company and the women's division. So I'm ready for all the challenges and I'm excited. It's going to be an incredible journey and we're only in the early stages. I feel I've been working towards this since I was 18 years old. I take the responsibility very seriously and I can't wait. We have SummerSlam next and I'm just ready to go. Now we buckle up. The company's biggest event of the summer is this weekend and Nikki could not be more buzzing. UK fans, especially now the Scottish contingent, have always had to watch live in the early hours of the morning thanks to the show being broadcast live on US time. But Nikki's reign as champ has given us Scots a reason to tune in. And that's not to mention the live crowd at Las Vegas, who will be cheering her on from the Allegiant Stadium after a year of pandemic-enforced shows in an empty arena. We are so excited to be with our fans again and in front of a live crowd, Nikki added. The energy is excellent. WWE was on Channel 4 when I first watched it from home and it'd be on at 1am so you were staying up. What I'm really excited about with SummerSlam though is that it's on a Saturday night this year. Yes, it will start late but you can treat yourself to a lie-in or you can go watch it with friends. For me, I'd stay up all night and try to go to work the next day or uni and it speaks of the passion of our fans and why we love them so much. Representing Scotland and flying that flag is a huge honour and responsibility, and I want to make Scotland proud. She has done that so far, but she's not the only Scottish representative on WWE TV. Drew McIntyre is on the men's roster, and the Ayrshireman has been on the tear for the last 18 months. 
Nicky and McIntyre are old pals and used to work together at Glasgow's promotion Insane Championship Wrestling, ICW. And the leader of the women's division has been inspired by her mate to do big things of her own. Drew has been such an inspiration in how he carries himself and he's so professional, she said. His work ethic is unbelievable and he has so much passion for this. For me, he's laid the blueprint for this and carved that path. Now I'm able to carve my own path as well and I'm so inspired by him. I can't be happier for him and when he won the championship, I was so happy for him. That article was by Mark Henry. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 23rd of August 2021, from the news section... Glasgow shopkeeper who survived machete attack backs new law to protect workers. This article is an exclusive by Deborah Anderson. It was the end of a busy shift and shopkeeper Mohammed Rayek was pulling down the shutters to his Glasgow store as he did most nights. But one particular evening a gang of youths were walking by and attacked him with a machete. Recalling the incident which led to him being hospitalised Mr Ryak said, It was 7.55pm and I was pulling down the shutters. A gang of youths were walking by and they just decided to attack. I fended them off and they ran away. Then I realised my boots were full of blood. I called an ambulance and was taken to hospital. The doctor said I was lucky they missed an artery. They attacked my leg with a machete. Physically, I recovered pretty quickly, although there was a pain for a long time. Though I do a lot of hill walking, and sometimes still feel the pain then. Mentally, it took me a good couple of years to get it out of my head. It's not just a threat of violence or the 1994 attack he has had to cope with. He has also lost an estimated £150,000 to retail crime, and he says a tough new law demonstrates that trouble will not be tolerated. Mr Rajak, who has run Bywell Day-to-Day Convenience Store in the East End of Glasgow for 30 years, is backing a campaign urging shop staff across the country to report every retail crime as powerful new legislation comes into force on Tuesday, August 24th. The Protection of Workers Act gives greater protection to shop workers by making it a specific offence to threaten or abuse them. It also provides further legal protections when the worker is carrying out statutory duties such as age verification, a significant trigger for staff facing abuse. It is supported strongly by the Scottish Grocers Federation, which is spearheading the Don't Put Up With It campaign to ensure that the new law becomes a powerful deterrent of crime by ensuring that those responsible for offences are prosecuted. Father of three, Mr Rajak, 50, said, The Protection of Workers Act will make people realise that they will be punished for the crimes committed in our shops. We will not put up with threats and abuse that we get, and this reinforces that. We hope that if people who think it's okay to abuse shop workers realise they will get a criminal conviction, that may harm their prospects. It will be a powerful deterrent. Research by the British Retail Consortium estimates the cost of crime to retailers across Britain to be £2.2 billion a year. Almost 90% of shop workers who responded to a survey 
also said he'd experienced verbal abuse at work. Shoplifting is one of the biggest criminal issues that retailers across Scotland have to contend with and to which SGF is urging store bosses to report every incidence of to the police. This is not something that just happens every day. It's every hour, added Mr Radjak, who employs four staff. You get the odd person who genuinely forgets something, but shoplifting ranges from a child putting a lolly in their pocket to people trying to get away with full baskets of shopping. Over the past 30 years, the businessman, who is well known in the community for charity work, estimates shoplifting, shoplifting has easily lost him £150,000. And they are the cases I know about, he added. When you think about it, that could be my pension. I might have been able to retire five years earlier, or been able to reduce my hours had I had that income. The owners of hundreds of shops across the country have made a pledge to report all retail crimes as part of the Don't Put Up With It campaign, which is supported by the Scottish Government, Police Scotland and Crime Stoppers. Dr John Lee, SGF's Head of Policy, believes this is an important statement for the new law to have an impact. The simple fact is that if police do not know about crimes, no matter how small, they cannot take action, he said. We need to ensure that the police, politicians and the public know the full scale of retail crime. To do that, we need retailers to report every type of offence to show that they are not going to put up with them. The Protection of Workers Bill, proposed by Edinburgh Southern MSP Daniel Johnson, was passed unanimously by the Scottish Parliament earlier this year. It's a move that sees Scotland lead the way across the UK in the legal protection it is offering retail staff. The most serious of offences will be punishable with prison sentences. Dr Lee added, Most people would be disgusted if they realised the level of abuse that so many of our retail workers endure at work. Being subjected to violence and aggression should not be, have to be part of anyone's job. The Protection of Workers Act is a welcome symbolic step in proving the abuse of retail workers is not acceptable and that those responsible will face the legal consequences. It will make a real difference in tackling crime, making Scotland shops safer and businesses stronger. We are grateful to Daniel Johnson, the MSPs who supported him, and the Scottish Government for making this happen. We will be working with our members to ensure that the Act is embraced to, to its full potential. To find out more about the Don't Put Up With It campaign, go to www.don'tputupwithit.scot And that article was an exclusive by Deborah Anderson. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 23rd of August 2021, from the sports section, New Celtic manager Ange Postelikoglu visits McTasso's Greek stall at Glasgow Fort by Lauren Gilmore, Facebook community reporter. A popular Greek street food stall welcomed a special guest at the weekend. New Celtic manager Ange Postelikoglu stopped by McTasso's at the Glasgow Fort who serve up delicious Greek Jira sandwiches yesterday afternoon. Staff and onlookers were bemused as the Australian was spotted enjoying some leisure time at the shopping centre following the Parkhead side's stunning 6-0 victory against St Mirren on Saturday. Postal Coglu was born in Athens before emigrating to Australia with his parents in 1970. 
one person tweeted, I love that Andrew Postelicoglu is just one thing about the Glasgow fort, like a normal person, and not the Antipodean Greek demigod we know him to be. And that piece was by Lauren Gilmore. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 23rd of August 2021, from the news section, Port Glasgow Swimming Pool Tragedy as Man Dies by Claire Amber Young, reporter. A man has tragically died at the Port Glasgow Swimming Pool. Police confirmed that the 54-year-old passed away following a heart attack and that there were no suspicious circumstances surrounding his death. The tragic incident took place at around 3pm on Saturday, reports the Greenock Telegraph. A spokesperson for Greenock Police said, Despite the valiant efforts of pool staff, the man sadly died at the scene after suffering a heart attack. It is believed he'd been in a sauna and then went into the pool. Police say they'd been in contact with the man's family and that the report will be submitted to the Procurator Fiscal. And that story was by Claire Amber Young. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 23rd of August 2021, from the news section. Universal credit payment date this week and contact number. By Kieran Doody, UK trending editor. People who claim universal credit and other benefits will receive their payments for August this week, but it will be on a different date than usual this month. The change in payment dates is due to the upcoming August bank holiday. The summer bank holiday always falls on the last Monday of the month in England and Wales, meaning it will occur on 30th of August this year. When will benefits be paid? If you claim universal credit and are due to be paid on 30th of August, you can expect to automatically be paid earlier in the month. The government says claimants should receive their benefits on the last working day before the bank holiday. As such, you can expect to be paid on the earlier date of Friday the 27th of August. This earlier date will also apply to other benefits, including child benefit, personal independence payment, employment and support allowance, and working tax credit. The change in date should not affect the amount you receive, meaning claimants should still receive the same payment as normal. Which benefits will be paid earlier? Claimants of the following benefits can expect to receive their payments earlier this month, on Friday the 27th of August. Attendance allowance, carers allowance, child benefit, disability living allowance, employment and support allowance, income support, job seekers allowance, pension credit, personal independence payment, state pension, tax credits such as working tax credit, universal credit. What happens if I don't get paid early? If you do not receive your benefit payments when expected, you should first double check the payment date on your award notice and your bank account. If the date is correct and you have not received your money, you should contact the relevant helpline for assistance. However, it is likely they will be closed over the bank holiday. 
Universal Credit Claimant should call 0800 328 9344 for free or 0800 012 1888 if for well speaking. The text phone number is 0800-328-1344 Those who claim child benefit can call 0300-200-3100 for free or plus 44-161-210-3086 if you're outside the UK. Claimants of tax credits can contact HMRC for free on 0345 Three double O three nine double O or plus four four two eight nine zero five three eight one nine two from outside the UK. For help with other benefits payments, contact O eight hundred three two eight nine three double four O eight hundred three two eight one seven double four for well speaking or O eight hundred one six nine zero three one four for text phone. And that article is by Kieran Duddy. From the Glasgow Times, dated Monday 23rd August 2021. From the Lifestyle section. Glasgow Garden Festival artwork, Salt Destroyed, has new life. An article by Catriona Stewart, columnist and reporter. It was nearly destroyed, but 33 years after it was first on show, a dramatic 27-tonne sculpture will today float up the Clyde to a new life. The concrete and steel floating head is to be put back on public display decades after it was created for the Glasgow Garden Exhibition. The dramatic sculpture was the work of artist Richard Groom and was made with the help of out-of-work shipbuilders. Lying largely forgotten at Rothsay Dock East on the north banks of the Clyde, the floating head was tracked down following the artist's death in 2019. It has been conserved and partially restored by workers from Concrete Repairs Limited in a project led by Sculpture Placement Group, SPG, and Richard Groom's estate. The sculpture will be moored in the Canting Basin at Govan Docks from now until October 6 and will form a centrepiece of Glasgow Doors Open Day. After that, it is hoped that someone will come forward to give it an appropriate longer-term home. Michelle Emery Barker, SPG co-director, said, People have very fond memories of the Garden Festival and a huge attachment to Glasgow's heritage as a world centre of shipbuilding, so we're really pleased to have the sculpture floating on the Clyde once again. It's an astonishing story, an artwork that was nearly destroyed being rediscovered after decades restored by the boat builders of today and then towed back up the river and proudly put back on public display. We think it will really resonate with people and hopefully be quite an attraction for Doors Open Day. Richard's family managed to track down the location of the floating head using Canmore, discovering that it had been stored at Clyde Boatyard where it had gradually become covered in moss. Richard's brother, Andy Groom, said, Myself and my family were so touched at Richard's funeral where so many of his friends and colleagues commented on all of his work, especially the floating head. 
It became apparent very quickly we had to find it, fix it and float it. We couldn't believe our luck when we found and met with offshore workboats who had rescued it. We then tracked down and met Ian Henderson, the owner of the head, who has allowed us the opportunity to display the head again for the public to see. We're really grateful to all of them and everyone else who has made it possible for us to have the sculpture restored and returned to the heart of Glasgow. A crowdfunding campaign run by SPG and the family helped cover the costs of the restoration, which was carried out by Concrete Repairs Limited. Gemma Wild, Heritage Outreach Manager of Glasgow Heritage Trust, said, Glasgow City Heritage Trust was delighted to be able to support this project via a heritage grant. The Garden Festival of 1988 holds a special place in the memories of many Glaswegians and marks a turning point in Glasgow's transformation from industrial powerhouse to cultural centre. The refloating of Richard Groom's sculpture and the accompanying programme of workshops with Glasgow Science Centre offers an exciting opportunity to engage Glasgow's communities with the legacy of the Garden Festival and Glasgow's shipbuilding heritage. The project has received support from the Construction Industry Training Board, Glasgow City Heritage Trust, Sustran Scotland's Art Roots Fund, National Lottery Community Fund, and through a crowdfunder which received a great deal of public support. Cosmo Blake, Art and Diversity Coordinator at Sustran Scotland, added, Sustrans have been delighted to support this project through our Art Roots programme, which is funded by Transport Scotland. Art Roots encourages people to walk, wheel and cycle on the National Cycle Network by supporting and empowering communities in making areas on and around the routes more interesting, inclusive and attractive spaces to explore. With the Doors Open Day celebration approaching, we hope that the sculpture provides a focal point which inspires local residents and visitors alike to get active on the network and explore more of Glasgow's excellent walking, wheeling and cycling connections in future. Graham Rose, Creative Director of Glasgow Science Centre said, We've previously worked in partnership with SPG and look forward to seeing this amazing sculpture in the waters around Glasgow Science Centre again. It's a wonderful reminder of the historic Garden Festival and also serves as an inspiration for and a celebration of the creativity and originality that comes from the collaboration between science and art. This article is by Catriona Stewart, columnist and reporter. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday 24th of August 2021, from the news section. Car parking charges scrapped at Glasgow Royal Infirmary by Stacey Mullen. Hospital car parking charges are being scrapped permanently at Glasgow Royal Infirmary and Dundee's Ninewells Hospital thanks to more than £35 million of public cash. The Scottish Government is providing the funds that will allow local health board chiefs to take over the running of the car parks, which had previously operated under the Private Finance Initiative PFI. Negotiations are also at an advanced stage to allow the last remaining PFI hospital car park in Scotland at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh to be taken into public ownership. The move comes after parking charges at the three PFI sites were suspended at the start of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. 
and in the run-up to the Holyrood elections in May, the SNP had pledged to end hospital parking charges permanently at PFI sites in Scotland during its first 100 days in office. The Scottish Government has now provided £26.3 million to allow NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde to complete the buyout of the PFI car park contract at Glasgow Royal Infirmary. A similar arrangement has been reached for NHS Tayside to buy out the PFI car park contract at Ninewells in Dundee for £9 million. Health Secretary Humza Yusuf said, I am delighted to announce that these facilities will come into public hands and help phase out the legacy of PFI in hospital car parks in Scotland. We all owe a huge debt of gratitude to our NHS workforce for their heroic efforts throughout the pandemic and this will ensure, along with patients and visitors using our hospitals, they will not face the prospect of parking charges returning. There are no car parking changes in place at any hospitals after this Scottish Government secured an arrangement to suspend these at the three PFI sites at the start of the pandemic. Charges at other NHS car parks had already been abolished by this Government. This announcement shows we are determined to ensure they will not return to any PFI site in Scotland. Talks are progressing well with the owners of the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh site and I am hopeful of reaching an agreement in due course. As this progresses, we will be keeping the car park at the hospital free while the final agreement is reached. This article was by Stacey Mullen. From the Glasgow Times of Monday the 23rd of August 2021, from the opinion section, Universal Credit £20 Uplift can keep Glasgow families from food banks. New research on food bank use has provided powerful evidence that a small increase in weekly income can help thousands of households in Glasgow avoid the need to rely on food banks. The research by Castle Milk Law Centre, Glasgow Community Food Network and Glasgow University Law Students looked at food bank use in Glasgow South East before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. Between January to March 2020, 1,269 food vouchers were issued across South East communities, including Govan Hill and Castle Milk, which fed over 3,000 adults and children in that period. However, the demand for food vouchers steadily dropped over the course of the pandemic, coinciding with the introduction of the £20 a week uplift in universal credit, UC, from April last year. The demand for food vouchers in the southeast during COVID-19 was 1,000 between April to June 2020, 815 for July to September, 709 for October to December, before falling to 677 between January to March 2021. The January to March food voucher figures for 2021 were almost 50% down on the same period before the COVID-19 lockdown in 2020. Angus McIntosh, Principal Solicitor at Castle Milk Law Centre, said The increase in universal credit of £20 per week reduced levels of poverty. 
This increase may have enabled those who were just below the breadline to afford to buy food and avoid going to the food bank. The research findings may appear counterintuitive as there were fears food insecurity would be exacerbated at the onset of the pandemic. In April last year, the Food Foundation predicted that 600,000 adults in Scotland were facing food insecurity. As the report authors note, at the start of lockdown, large-scale closures of non-essential industries resulted in employment falling by 15,000 in Scotland between April and June 2020 and unemployment rising to 4.5%. At the same time, incomes reduced and the number of vulnerable individuals forced to self-isolate soared, impacting on access to food. The furlough job retention scheme, along with other measures, including the UC uplift, were announced on the 20th of March last year, and there is little doubt that all of these measures were essential in avoiding an economic and humanitarian disaster. The Castle Milk research tells us that the level of social security payments was far too low before the pandemic. The rise of food banks across the UK coincided with the erosion of the welfare system from 2010 onwards. The Trussell Trust documented a 5,146% increase in emergency food parcels distributed between 2008 and 2018. In that decade, its food bank network went from distributing around 26,000 parcels a year to handing out more than 1.33 million. The international organisation Human Rights Watch has argued that the rise in food poverty can be traced back to four main UK government policies. In 2013, the government introduced an arbitrary financial cap on the amount of welfare benefits a family could receive. This was lowered further in 2016. The benefits cap reduced the income levels of families with children under the age of five and single parents, most of whom were women. From 2016, the government implemented a freeze on working age welfare benefits to unemployed households. This meant they didn't keep pace with inflation. This policy removed £580 to £825 per year from the poorest families with children. Meantime, the price of food and other living essentials continued to rise annually. In 2017, the two-child limit was introduced for child tax credit, which was a means-tested benefit to families with children. More recently, the government replaced tax credits and working age means-tested benefits with UC, which has been plagued with delays in payment. According to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, those in the lowest income, 10% of the population, lose the most from UC. The UK government will remove the £20 per week UC uplift from next month, a huge mistake that will create a massive return to reliance on food bank charity. Earlier this year, the Scottish Government introduced the weekly £10 Scottish child payment towards the costs of supporting a family. 
It's a means-tested benefit available for a child under six years of age. In last week's SNP Stroke Green Coalition deal, we were told the Scottish Government would, quotes, significantly increase the level of the Scottish child payment in order to maximise the impact on child poverty, with the full £20 payment being achieved within the lifetime of the Parliament, end of quotation. While this is welcome, it isn't enough. The Scottish Government has the power to prevent a rapid increase in food poverty and should do so. Five years is too long to wait. This article was by Mike Daly. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 24th of August 2021, from the News Section. Scottish Government gives £2 million to families of tragic NHS workers, by Sophie Adams. Families of the 52 health and social care workers who have died from coronavirus have been paid more than £2 million by the Scottish Government. Ten sums of around £100,000 each have been given to relatives of those who were NHS staff, while 19 claims of around £60,000 have been settled for social care employees, reports the Scottish Sun. The figures were released under a Freedom of Information request. Scottish Labour's health spokesperson Jackie Bailey hit out at the SNP government over the 21 NHS employees and 31 social care workers who died from COVID-19. She told the newspaper, These shameful figures are a sad reminder of just how badly health and social care workers were let down during this pandemic. It's right that death in service payments are available, but it's a tragedy that they are needed at all. All those who lost loved ones to COVID deserve answers on what went wrong, and that is even more true for those who are on the front line in our hospitals and care homes. That is why we urgently need an independent inquiry into the handling of the pandemic in Scotland. The families of healthcare service staff who died as a result of COVID can receive a payout from a pension scheme, while dependents of social care workers can also receive a lump sum. John Mooney of the trade union Unison Scotland told the paper, You're never going to replace a family member, but if you can remove some of the financial strain, that's a worthwhile endeavour. Staff have been on the front line from the beginning, working in very difficult circumstances, in some cases where PPE wasn't provided on time, so it's no shock that our members were put at elevated levels of risk. It's really important for us that workers are recognised for the role they have played in the pandemic, saving lives and providing support while at great risk. In many cases, they wouldn't have got a penny. We lobbied hard with the Scottish Government to get something to provide families with some sort of payment. A Scottish Government spokesperson told the Scottish Sun, We brought forward the NHS Scotland Coronavirus Life Assurance Scheme in May 2020, to provide financial support to the next of kin or dependent child of those who die in service where COVID-19 is a factor. It provides an ongoing survivor's pension plus £60,000 to next of kin. His story was by Sophie Adams. From the Glasgow Times recorded on Tuesday 24th August 2021 from the sports section. Scotland's Olympic record breaker, Duncan Scott, insists he's just getting started. 
an article by Susan Egglestaff, sports writer. Duncan Scott may have written himself into the record books in Tokyo by becoming GB's most decorated Olympian at one games, but he is in no doubt that he is yet to hit his peak. The 24-year-old showing in Tokyo last month was nothing short of exceptional. Three silver medals plus gold in the 4x200m relay in Britain's first win in the event in over 100 years was a remarkable week's work. Scott swam faster than he ever had too, which is no mean feat on the biggest stage of them all. However, in the immediate aftermath of the Games, Scott talked of having mixed emotions about his results in Tokyo. It is perhaps understandable. He missed out on gold in the 200 metre freestyle by a mere 0.04 seconds, and gold in the 200 metre individual medley by only 0.28 seconds. Results which highlight, as pertinently as any, just how fine the margins are at the very highest level of sport. And the GB quartet missed out on a world record in the final of the 4x200m freestyle relay by three hundredths of a second, which at the time Scott described as gutting. But having had a few weeks to reflect on his successes this summer, his tally of Olympic medals now stands at six, following his two relay medals in Rio. The University of Stirling swimmer is far more satisfied with his results in Tokyo than his initial reaction conveyed. The interviews straight after your race are your initial reaction, and does an athlete you want to win? I tried to answer as honestly as possible, and yeah, I admitted I had mixed emotions, he says. But if I'd been told the times I was going to swim, I'd have taken them in a shot. So I've got to be really proud with what I've done. A post-Olympic come-down is nothing unusual. Most athletes feel a sense of anticlimax or the like, when the event their entire life has revolved around for years is all of a sudden over. And despite Scott's newfound exalted position as Britain's most decorated Olympian at one games, he was far from immune to such a come-down. The aftermath of these Olympics has been really odd, because it's been so different to anything before, he says. First of all, with what I was able to do in the pool, but then within about 36 hours of finishing racing, I was back in my flat in Stirling, which was probably the strangest thing. The first week back home was really difficult. Watching the rest of the Olympics was great, but I think everyone has been in the same boat and it's been a weird come down. It's those classic Olympic blues. You love being a part of it. You love your apartment in the athlete's village and then you come home and you're like, oh, that's it, over. Scott is well aware that turning his attention too quickly to the next Olympic cycle is likely to be detrimental but this hasn't prevented his thoughts already occasionally drifting to the future. He has already ventured back into the pool, albeit for nothing more than a few gentle sessions so far, but he is well aware that the coming period presents a wealth of opportunities for him. Next year sees the World Championships, Commonwealth Games and Europeans all squeezed into one jam-packed few months. And with the Paris Olympics only three years away, there will be little time to relax.
and with, he believes, faster time still to come, the future certainly looks bright for Scott. It's about finding the balance between enjoying what you've done and starting to look forward to what's next, he says. If I keep improving, I'll keep winning medals. Where I am in the world, time-wise, if I'm able to keep improving, then there's not many people in the world who are able to deliver what I can. The whole thought process at Sterling is about continuous improvement and how I can always get the best out of myself. But it's also about being honest about what I can improve on, what I could have done differently in a swim, and what I didn't deliver correctly. So yes, I definitely think I can get better. For Scott, still in only his mid-twenties, to have already collected six Olympic medals is something never previously done in this country. The past few weeks have seen him compare to some of his childhood idols, and that, he admits, is bizarre. It is likely, though, that, all going well, Scott has quite some time at the top of his sport remaining, although he won't reveal quite how many Olympic medals he believes he can end up with. First, perhaps, he needs to get used to being called one of this country's Olympic greats. People like Chris Hoy, Andy Murray, Catherine Granger are people I used to sit at home watching, and I really looked up to them when I was watching the 2008 and 2012 Olympics. So to be now mentioned with them is pretty crazy. I'd never chuck my name in the same bracket as them. So when other people do, it's very strange, he says. As to how many Olympics I've got left in me, I really don't know. When you look at the depth and the quality within British swimming, I don't think I can look past Paris because so much can happen. This article was by Susan Egglestaff, sports writer. From the Glasgow Times, recorded on Tuesday, 24th August 2021. From the lifestyle section. McDonald's is out of milkshakes in all UK restaurants. An article by Lois McKenzie, SEO journalist. Last week it was Nando's and KFC. This week it's McDonald's. Another fast food favourite is reporting supply chain problems resulting in stock issues with milkshakes and bottled drinks. The shortage is affecting all 1,250 of McDonald's stores across Scotland, England and Wales. The supply chain issue, McDonald's have said, is down to lack of lorry drivers, which has caused the stock issues. Logistics UK has said there is currently a shortfall of 90,000 HGV drivers, a number that has only been increased by Brexit trade rules and COVID-19 restrictions. A McDonald's spokesperson told The Independent, Like most retailers, we are currently experiencing some supply chain issues, impacting the availability of a small number of products. Bottled drinks and milkshakes are temporarily unavailable in restaurants across England, Scotland and Wales. We apologise for any inconvenience and thank our customers for their continued patience. We are working hard to return these items to the menu as soon as possible. This article was by Lois McKenzie, SEO journalist. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of August 2021, from the news section, 
Asda, Tesco and Morrisons issue urgent product recall amid salmonella warning. By Kieran Doody, UK trending editor. As many as 176 people have fallen ill after eating a batch of porch scratchings thought to be contaminated with salmonella. Salmonella infection usually causes diarrhoea, fever and stomach cramps. Symptoms can begin 6 hours to 6 days after infection and can last up to a week. The popular meaty snack is sold in major UK supermarkets including Asda, Tesco's, Sainsbury's and Morrison's. It was recalled by the Food Standard Agency, FSA. Tato Group Limited, the brand behind the product, has issued an urgent food warning to shoppers. The products affected include four Mr Porky items, which are Mr Porky Original Scratchings, Mr Porky Crispy Strips, Mr Porky Crackles and Mr Porky Prime Cup Scratchings. The Sun reports around 50 people of all ages have been hospitalised with salmonella poisoning. Product details. The FSA said, Tato Group Limited is taking the precautionary step of recalling some Mr Porky, Jays and the Real Pork Crackling Company products because they may be contaminated with salmonella. Tato Group Limited advised the customers, the group behind the snack warned customers not to eat the product. It said, if you have bought any of the, the products, do not eat them. Instead, return them to the store from when they were bought for a full refund. The company said they are recalling all products as a precautionary measure and point of sale notices will be displayed in all stores where the product is on sale. And that piece was by Kieran Doody. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of August 2021, from the news section, Boy 10 struck by car on school run at Glasgow Primary was accident waiting to happen by Ruth Sutter, multimedia journalist. A 10 year old boy that got knocked down by a car on a school run in Glasgow was an accident waiting to happen, a parent has warned. The child had been on his way to class at Waswell Primary in Rob Royston on Monday morning before he was struck by the vehicle. Ambulance crews were prompted to the scene and escorted the child to the Royal Hospital for Children for treatment to his injuries. Now, a parent of a child attending the school has slammed other parents and guardians parking during drop-off and pick-up times. They said, The traffic situation is bad at the school. Cars park up on both sides of the road while kids are walking down trying to cross over. He was sitting up possible broken leg. He jumped out of his mum's car onto the oncoming traffic and was hit. The traffic situation at the school was just an accident waiting to happen. There's just zigzags at the gates, not the whole way up, but people will still park on them. Shortly after the incident, the school's head teacher pleaded with parents to park responsibly and drive slowly around the primary or walk when possible. A post on Wallace Wales social media reads This morning outside the school gate one of our pupils was involved in a road traffic incident. An ambulance and the police were called to attend the scene. The child has been taken to hospital to receive treatment but we are expecting a full recovery. 
I'm sure all our parents and carers will be wishing the family well. We will continue to work with our children on all aspects of safety, including road safety, and we would ask our parents to reinforce this at home. Can I please remind all parents and carers to park further away from the school and use the footpaths and pavements to walk wherever possible? If you are using the drop-off area, please park responsibly and drive slowly, being aware that children and other pedestrians will be crossing roads to access the school. Please do not park in any, on the zigzag lines or at the entrance to the school gate. Thank you for your support and cooperation. Glasgow City Council echoed the teachers' calls to park responsibly, while the local authority added that vehicles should not be parking in zigzag lines. A spokeswoman said, A pupil was involved in a road traffic incident outside the school gates and was taken to hospital for treatment. We wish the pupil a speedy recovery. The head teacher has sent a communication home to families to remind them about the importance of road safety around the school and this will be reiterated to pupils during lessons. This includes a reminder to all parents and carers to park further away from the school and use the footpaths and pavements to walk wherever possible and if using the drop-off area, park responsibly and drive slowly, being aware that the children and other pedestrians will be crossing roads to access the school. Parents have also been reminded not to park at the zigzag lines or at the entrance to the school gate. A Police Scotland spokesman said, At 9am on Monday, August 22nd, we received a report of a 10-year-old boy having been hit by a car on Stanburn Road in Glasgow. Officers attended and the boy had been taken to the Royal Hospital for Children. And that article is an exclusive by Ruth Sutter. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of August 2021, from the news section, Caroline Glacken, Detectives committed to finding murderer 25 years after teen's death. Report by Heather Carrick, Facebook community reporter. Detectives have reiterated their commitment to finding the killer who murdered a Scots teen 25 years ago. 14-year-old Caroline Glacken's body was found in the River Leven after she had been attacked 25 years ago today. The young Our Lady and St Patrick's pupil had been found on the morning of August 25th, 1996 after having spent time with her best friends, Joan Menzies, the following night. Caroline then left to meet her boyfriend at around midnight, with police believing that she had been followed by a stranger along the riverbank. The search for Caroline's killer was restarted in 2016, with detectives hoping that advances in DNA technology would help with the search. Speaking to the Lennox Herald, Detective Chief Inspector Stuart Granger said, Our thoughts remain with Caroline's family and her friends on the 25th anniversary of her death. Caroline was only 14 at the time, and Police Scotland continued to investigate the circumstances surrounding the murder. I would like to stress to the public that we have a dedicated team of officers working on this inquiry, and I would continue to ask anyone who may have any information surrounding this to come forward and speak to officers. We are committed to identifying whoever was responsible for Caroline's murder, and are working on bringing those responsible to justice. 
I would appeal to anyone who has not been seen by the inquiry team or has any information that could assist with our investigation, no matter how small, to make contact with police. It has been 25 years since Caroline's murder and we are determined to give the Glacken family the answers they deserve. And that piece was by Hera Carrick. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of August 2021, from the news section. Glasgow man left battered and bruised after Evil Knievel quad bike ploughing. By Ruth Souter, multimedia journalist. A man has been left battered and bruised after being ploughed into by a quad bike while he was walking along a pavement. Police swooped to Parkhead on Saturday afternoon after receiving reports of a teenage boy racing an illegal motor on Westmuir Street. When they arrived at the scene, a 56-year-old man had been knocked to the ground. The victim's son, who wished not to be named, said, Dad has been left completely battered and bruised from this. Whoever done it must have been going at some speed because he couldn't move out of the way. The bike hit him and the boy ran away. The police came and my dad couldn't get up. The police had to take him home. Injuries have left the victim struggling to walk and with a swollen head. The trauma of the ordeal has also made him anxious about leaving his home. His son added, They ran away and left him and he could have been dead. Whoever did this is a thug. We are furious. He has a massive lump on his head and he can't walk at the moment. He doesn't want to leave the house. He's really shaken up by it all. He goes, he got such a fright. He usually goes out for his paper in the morning, but he just doesn't want to go out now. Glasgow's North East Police Division released a statement on Monday confirming that the coy bike had since been seized from the culprit. In it, they said the driver of the illegal motor thought he could ride like Evil Knievel, an American motorbike stunt performer. It reads, The mini motorbike below was seized from a 14-year-old boy in Westmuir Street on Saturday who thought he could ride like Evil Knievel and struck a pedestrian who thankfully was unhurt. In reality, these bikes are dangerous when driven by inexperienced and unlicensed persons. The victim's son added, I don't know why police said Dad was unhurt. They took him home and they could clearly see injuries on his face. Meanwhile, a 14-year-old boy has been charged with road traffic offences. A Police Scotland spokesman said, We received reports of a collision involving a quad bike and a 58-year-old man on Westmuir Street, Glasgow at 7.20pm on Saturday, August 21st. A 14-year-old boy has been charged with varied road traffic offences and the bike has been seized. And that report was an exclusive by Ruth Sutter. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 25th of August 2021, from the news section, Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccine protection declines after six months, study suggests, by Lewis McKenzie, SEO journalist. New research has suggested that the protection provided by two doses of the Pfizer, BioNTech and the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccines can start to deplete within six months, Press Association has reported. A worst case scenario would see protection fall to less than 50% for the elderly and healthcare workers by winter as they were among the first to receive the vaccine.
The study revealed that the Pfizer vaccine was 88% effective at preventing infection a month after the second dose. However, after 5-6 to six months, this decreased to 74% effectiveness. This would suggest protection would decrease to 14% in 4 months. The ZOE COVID-19 study also looked at the AstraZeneca vaccine. It initially showed up a protection of 77% one month after a second dose, but it too declined to 67% after 4-5 to five months, a fall of 10%. However, decreased protection of vaccines over time is to be expected, say experts. The study drew in more than 1.2 million test results and participants. The mid-term efficacy trial by Pfizer observed an initial 96.2% risk reduction in infection up to two months after the second dose. There was an 83.7% reduction more than four months after the second dose a 12.5 percentage point risk reduction. Real-world analysis was be expected to show less protection than clinical trials, and the vaccines were not trialled against the now-dominant Delta variant of the virus. While protection appears to decrease steadily, individuals' risk may vary due to individual variation in antibody, antibody duration, researchers say. When the Pfizer vaccine was approved at the end of last year, jabs were prioritised for those most vulnerable, as well as healthcare workers on the front line. Excuse me, the majority of people who had their second dose five to six months ago will be in the older or vulnerable category. This could suggest that these people are now more likely to be at an increased risk of COVID-19 compared to those who vaccinated more recently. Researchers have said that more data is needed over a longer time to confidently say how vaccine effectiveness changes over time and across age groups. Despite this, vaccines still provide high levels of protection, especially against the Delta variant, and can reduce the likelihood of serious injuries. Professor Tim Spector, lead scientist at the Zoe COVID study app, said, In my opinion, a reasonable worst-case scenario could see protection below 50% for the elderly and healthcare workers by winter. If high levels of infection in the UK, driven by loosened social restrictions and a highly transmissible, transmissible variant, this scenario could mean increased hospitalisations and deaths. We urgently need to make plans for vaccine boosters and, based on vaccine resources, decide if a strategy to vaccinate children it's sensible if our aim to reduce deaths and hospital admissions. Weaning protection is to be expected and is not a reason not to not get vaccinated. Vaccines still provide high levels of protection for the majority of the population, especially against the Delta variant, so we still need as many people as possible to get fully vaccinated. And that report is by Lewis McKenzie. Wednesday, the 25th of August, 2021, the Glasgow Times, Lifestyle Section. Food shortages at worse level than I have ever seen, says Co-op Boss. The boss of one of the UK's biggest retailers has warned that current food shortages are at a worse level than he has ever seen. Steve Morells, Chief Executive of the Cooperative Group, 
said the retailer has significantly reduced its range of some products to help serve customers. He told the Times newspaper, The shortages are at a worse level than at any time I have seen. Mr Morells said the disruption to supply has been driven by Brexit and issues caused by Covid and the firm is restraining staff as lorry drivers to help fill vacant roles. Rude haulage bosses have said there is a shortfall of around 100,000 drivers partly caused by the exit from the UK during the pandemic of thousands of EU drivers who have not yet returned. Industry groups have also said training for new drivers is taking months, making the shortfall in numbers difficult to resolve quickly. Labour shortages, which have also affected meatpacking and fruit picking jobs, have caused shops and fast food restaurants to struggle for stock. Subway and McDonald's are some of the latest victims of the shortages. Sandwich shop chain Subway said it has seen minor supply chain shortages, but stressed that it has ensured that disruption to customers is minimal. Meanwhile, McDonald's ran out of milkshakes in most of its UK restaurants due to the ongoing supply problems. The burger chain has also been left without bottled drinks across its 1,250 outlets in England, Scotland and Wales as the lorry driver shortages take its toll. A spokesman said the group is working hard to return these items to the menu. It comes a week after restaurant chain Nando's shut almost 50 restaurants because of reduced chicken supplies. Wednesday the 25th of August 2021 the Glasgow Times Lifestyle Section Auchengech Mining Disaster Memorial Restored Ahead of Anniversary Next Month A memorial commemorating the Auchengech Mining Disaster has been restored ahead of the anniversary next month. It pays tribute to 47 men who lost their lives in the tragedy on September 18, 1959. This year also marks 90 years since six miners died in the pit tragedy of 1931. Miller Homes, along with Duffy and McCann plastering and rough casting, have rendered and restored the real wall of the memorial. Ricky Blackley, site manager at Miller Homes Stonyets Village Development, said, The Auchengeck Mining Disaster Memorial is a meaningful place for those who lost their lives and loved ones during the tragic mining disasters in 1959. In 1931. We're truly honoured to have played our part in requiring the memorial to help maintain the historic resting place so that generations to come can visit and pay their respects. Councillor Willie Doolan of North Lanarkshire Council added, the Auchengeck Memorial is a place that many of us in Lanarkshire hold close to our hearts. It's been touching to see Miller Holmes and Duffy and McCann come together to help repair this space for the community. Neil Duffy, director of Duffy and McCann Plastering and Rough Casting, said, We're really pleased with the outcome here. It has been very moving working so closely on a memorial that means so much to the local residents here in Moody'sburn and throughout the rest of the Lanarkshire community. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.